Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host each week and have the privilege of interviewing a broad variety of thought leaders, business authors, business titans, celebrities, people that have actually maybe experienced some sort of traumatic injury or accident and live to tell about it and share their insights where each week we bring you intimate conversations to help you build your own leadership skills. Franklin Covey, of course, the most trusted leadership firm in the world. We try to use this podcast as a platform and a spotlight to shine that light onto other people that may have a complimentary insight to help you be a better parent, to help you be a better leader, a community citizen, you name it. And each month, I capture a different interview that comes out in an annual series called Master Mentors. HarperCollins has published with me a 10-volume series called Master Mentors, Volume 1, Volume 2, where each year I take 30 interviews with the permission of those guests, and I write about a particular insight they shared on this podcast, Volume 3 coming out in the fall. Who knows? Perhaps today's guest might agree to be in Volumes 4 or 5. You know him as perhaps the most famous podcaster in the world. His podcast, School of Greatness, has over 500 million downloads entering his 1500th episode. His name is Lewis Howes. He's joining us today from his studio in Los Angeles. Lewis, welcome to On Leadership. Thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate it. Nice meeting you. Talk about a culmination of um, a who's who. You and I have a very similar network in terms of people that we interview. I am arguably addicted to your podcast because the, the nature of conversations you have with your guests sets the standard. I don't know someone who wouldn't wish their podcast to be like yours. We have in some ways modeled our fledgling podcast that's now become the world's largest leadership podcast. And so today, it's a huge honor to kind of have the guy that inspired us uh, 250 mm. episodes ago, five years ago. And so I appreciate your abundance. Dr. Covey would love you. Passed 10 years ago, mm. but one of the principles he taught me and millions of others is there's two kinds of people, right? People with a scarce mindset and people with an abundance mindset. And I think you fit beautifully as a model of someone mm. with an abundance mindset. Delighted you took the time today to join us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excited so, to be here. Lewis, we're going to talk about your new release out today, March 7th, called The Greatness Mindset. Unlock the power of your mind and live your best life today some great insights in this book we'll go through, but would you first maybe rewind a little bit and reorient that last human being on earth who may not be subscribing to your podcast and talk about your journey, ups and downs, what kind of led you mm. to the recent release of this new book? Um, well, I'm going to keep it tight, but I grew up very insecure and I doubted myself a lot because of academics and the results, or, or let's say lack of results I was getting academically in school. In eighth grade, I was um, in the bottom of my class. I had a second grade reading level when I entered eighth grade, eighth grade and I had a tutor all the way through college from, from that point on to college. Just because I struggled, it was hard for me to get up and speak in front of my classmates without feeling insecure and being made fun of. And it left me feeling like I, I didn't believe in myself because I was lacking the results in the talents and the abilities with academics. But what it did do is it had me seek outside of that and find where I did have a skill. And I started to realize that sports became a thing that I was getting pretty good at. 
and I started to get validation and I started to get accepted because I was, I was talented there. And so I put all my efforts into sports, being the best I could be and winning and uh, accomplishing my goals and dreams as an athlete in high school and college and professionally as a professional football player in the Arena Football League. And then I wanted to make the Olympics and I played with the USA national handball team for eight years. So I pursued this athletic greatness, let's say, uh, based on the skills I had, and I maxed out my abilities there. I got injured playing arena football um, in the first season of my, my career, and this happened at the end of 2007, 2008. I had to have a surgery. I broke my wrist playing football as a wide receiver and um, left me in a cast for about six months, so I couldn't really use my arm for six months. The economy was crashing with the housing market, and they weren't hiring people with college degrees, and I didn't have a college degree yet because I left early to go play professional football. So it was just a confusing time because I lost my identity. I lost my dream. I had no money. I was living off credit cards, and I was sleeping on my sister's couch. And six months prior, my father got into a pretty bad car accident, which left him in a coma for three months. So he had woken up and survived, but his personality had changed forever and he wasn't really there mentally and emotionally. Physically, he was alive, but it was almost as if he emotionally had died that day of his car accident. So it was just a confusing time. It was a struggling time trying to figure out what am I gonna do with myself? Who am I? You know, What's next? What's my purpose? Why am I here? All the questions I think we've all had at different times in life. And that set me on a path of saying, well, I don't know what to do, and I don't have my father to lean on as mentorship, but if I was playing a sport, what would I do? And I said, well, I've always had great coaches, and I've always been coachable, so let me go find coaches, guides, mentors that are doing things that I'm inspired by, that live uh, a life in high values, that are leaders in their communities and their businesses. And so I found a number of key mentors essentially begged them. I think maybe they felt bad for me at the time because I was doing nothing. Um, but I found a way to communicate with people through LinkedIn and build relationships in the real world from LinkedIn. And that helped me find these great coaches, mentors, and guides, where I started a business, launched a business, did that for a number of years, and then realized I was still in a, still wasn't doing exactly what I thought I was meant to do until 10 years ago the School of Greatness came about leaned into it, and here I am 10 years later. You know, your story is not that unusual. Perhaps your success is, but your journey to success is actually quite relatable for a lot of people. In fact, in your new book, The Greatness Mindset, you open chapter three telling a story about someone who is now wholly unrelatable. And I won't mm -hmm. give you the punchline who it is, but as I was reading the story, I kept finding myself tempted to figure out who is he talking about because it was such an interesting story. <laughs> Would you retell that story at the end? You can share with us who that is because, again, I think this person's life is somewhat unrelatable, but their journey is not that far from yeah. many people's. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the story of uh, a man who went after his dreams to play professional football, got cut from the team, uh, was left going back home, having no money, having only seven bucks in his pocket, and uh, not sure about what he was going to do next. He went after his dream. He pursued it. Uh, it didn't work out for him, and he really didn't have other skills, talents, education to help him kind of get the job he wanted, uh, but he pursued another dream, and uh, that was wrestling. And so that's, uh, that's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. 
again, he, he was a really talented in college, but couldn't, he wasn't good enough for the NFL. Didn't know what to do next. Got injured, um, got cut and had no money, but he went back home. He said, what could I do next? He got back to his roots of wrestling, which his father was in. He said, I want to get into this business. He spent years training, developing, struggling, uh, not being at the top in order to develop new skills and overcome fears and insecurities until many years later, he became one of the most you know, famous wrestlers in, in the world and then reinvented himself again for a new identity in what he's doing now. In fact, Lewis, you were quite charitable because uh, he had quite a few setbacks. At one point, he was living, I think, with his mother in their car. Yep. Had some skirmish. Yep. I mean, think about Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? And was living in his mother's car in Hawaii. Had some skirmishes with the law. Mm -hmm. I think I saw recently yep. in my social feed. I think he. I think I saw him like give his mother a car for Christmas or something like that. Yep. I'm sure he's done more for his mother than that. But my point in reiterating your journey and his journey. Perhaps most of us cannot relate to the level of success either of you have defined for yourselves, mm -hmm. but we can relate to the, the, the peaks and the valleys and the setbacks. And one of the central right. premises of your book, The Greatness Mindset, really is about being very clear on what is it you want to do with your life. Now, your mission yes. is to serve 100 million lives weekly, 100 million lives weekly by helping them improve the quality of their lives and overcome the things that hold them back. I mean, 12 years ago, would you have thought your mission would be to legitimately impacting 100 million lives a week? No, no. And, and in fact, you know, 15, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, when I, was, when I was struggling on my sister's couch, I couldn't think that far. So I think we need to understand how to create a meaningful mission for the type of season and situation we're in in life right now. At that time, when on Sister's Couch, I wasn't able to think beyond that. I had too many fears, too many insecurities, too much doubt. Not a, I didn't have any money. I was living in credit card debt, student loans, all that stuff. So my meaningful mission at the time was, how do I make enough money to get off my sister's couch? That was literally it. How can I get my own apartment? My first apartment was $495 a month in Columbus, Ohio. I had no car, but I felt like, okay, I'm finally... You know, after a year and a half of living for free on my sister's couch as a, you know, mid-20s uh, guy, I finally made enough money to be able to pay for rent, $4.95 a month, in a small apartment in Columbus, Ohio. And it felt like, man, this was a huge accomplishment because it was so hard to get there for me. And that's all I could think about. So we, I think we need to understand the season of life we're in, the situation of life we're in, and creating a meaningful mission that go, goes also beyond success. And for a long part of my life, Scott, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to, I was really good at creating goals and dreams and accomplishing them. And I wanted that success. I was driven to succeed, but I missed out on greatness a lot of the times. It wasn't until I hit 30 when I started to realize the difference between success and greatness. And success is more about us accomplishing our goals and dreams for us. They're very selfish. Greatness is about accomplishing our goals and dreams in the service of impacting others on that journey as well. Empowering and lifting others up. A lot about what you talk about, about being a great leader, is about empowerment, is about serving others in your fa family circle, friends circle, communities, organization circle, and empowering them to elevate their lives. And that's the difference between success and greatness. 
Lewis, maybe you have begun to address this question, but it's arguable that you have one of the largest platforms in the world. You have, you know, 100 million people, perhaps on a weekly basis, watching, listening to your interviews, whether it be through the podcast or through your social media or your books or your other avenues. You interview and converse with some of the greatest minds in the world. I have a little bit of relation to that, not to the level you have by any stretch, but I know the impact it has on me, having you know, the audience with people we have on this podcast. Of all the things you could have done, why did you write a book titled The Greatness Mindset? Why did I write a book titled that? Yeah, of all the topics you could have addressed, why didn't you mm -hmm. focus on the greatness mindset? I feel like um, after 10 years of all these interviews, and also my own personal journey of lots of different mistakes and being in different relationships intimately and health challenges and health success and athletic challenges and athletic success and business challenges and success and being the guinea pig of interviewing some of these top minds of all walks of life over the last 10 years, I've come to realize that at the heart of it, it's learning how to heal your mind. It's learning how to heal your thoughts and learning how to heal and mend the memories that hold you back. I'm a big believer that self-doubt is the killer of all dreams for every human being. Self-doubt, the belief that you are not enough in some category of life or that you will not be lovable or accepted or you'll be judged when you take action towards your goals and dreams, when you put yourself out there, your creative art, your career, your work, a book, a podcast, whatever it is you're looking to do. Self-doubt is a killer of dreams. It holds everyone back from taking action. Or if it drives them forward, they still don't feel like they are enough when they accomplish success. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, Scott, where I was so driven to achieve that when I would achieve, it still felt like I was frustrated and unfulfilled with the success I was getting. And I was like, why am I still struggling with the fulfillment and satisfaction of driving myself to accomplish my goals and dreams after years and years of working on them. So if we doubt ourselves, if we still don't believe we are enough, and we have a wounded thought, a wounded belief that holds us back, then we will, it doesn't matter how successful we are, we won't be spiritually successful. We won't be fulfilled. We will not have uh, a sense of joy and love for ourselves and others to the best degree if we don't learn to mend the wounds and memories of the past and really start to fully own our authentic selves, our highest version of ourselves today. That's why I believe after 10 years of all the interviews and all the experiences and pain that I went through, this is the book I wish I had 10 years ago when I was 16, when I was 21. It's the book that I'm glad I have now for myself because for me, life was always confusing and complicated and was stressful and overwhelming. And I always felt stuck at different times. And all I wanted was a simple guide that breaks down everything for me, that also shows the science and research from neuroscientists to doctors to billionaires to world-class athletes backing each point so that it all became believable and something that I could do for myself. That's why the greatness mindset for me needed to happen now. And I'm so glad that I have it for myself uh, even if no one else reads it, it's like it's a it's a roadmap for me to keep having fulfillment and success at the same time. 
You know, in many ways, we hear from publicists, publishers, agents, authors, that you've got to write for your audience. You've got to pick your audience and write for them. And then you start to hear that there's some authors that actually write for themselves, like I do, myself. Mm -hmm. I, I write for myself, and then I find those people that are like me, and they buy my books and that kind of thing. I'm guessing in many ways, although you are an expert conversationalist and interviewer, in many ways, you wrote this book for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, this is the book I wish I had when I was you know, struggling at 16, when I was confused at 22, when I was getting into new relationships at 30, uh, you know, when I was building success in my business and I didn't understand how to manage it, the pressure and the weight. All these different situations and times that I was struggling, I wish I had this guide, I wish I had this book, for myself. I wish someone else would have written this book for me 10, 20 years ago and now. And that's why I was like, this book needs to come out um, because it will continue to keep me on the path of service-based leadership, of service-based leadership first to myself, which I think a lot of people neglect themselves. They neglect the ability to appreciate how far they've come. I don't know if you've ever done this, Scott, but I used to do this. I used to beat myself all the time saying, well, it's not enough. I got to do more. I got to create more. Uh, it's still not good enough. I used to criticize negatively constantly as opposed to be a positive self-coach and just give good feedback on how far I've come and what I need to do to get further. And I think, um, again, a lot of people don't have the tools like you're teaching them on how to be a great leader and accept themselves. So I'm not saying you can't improve and want more, but at least appreciate where you're at and where you're going. Scott, let me ask you a question. You've interviewed a lot of people, five years of interviews. Let me see if this is the same thing for you. When you finish an interview with world-class leaders and billionaires and celebrities, when you finish an interview, this happens to me a lot. When you finish an interview, what's something that almost everyone tends to do with you? What question do they ask you when the cameras are off? Yeah, it's the question, you, you, it's, was that okay for you? Was that good enough exactly. for you? Exactly. Was that good enough for you? Was yeah. that okay? Yeah. This almost uncertainty or insecurity that a lot of people have, even at the top, was that okay? Was that good enough? Did, did I miss anything for you? Uh, I, should, I, should I have said that or should we take that out? It's this second guessing that a lot of us have. I've had it a bunch of times, right? It's not like I'm this immune person to imperfection or something. But when we can learn the art of having a beautiful relationship with ourselves and stop doubting ourselves, you see it at the top, people still doubt. And it's okay to accept and know that you're never gonna be perfect. Like this idea that, oh, I needed it to be perfect is not serving you or the people you're in relationship with. Uh, something I learned when I was doing a lot of speaking I had the fear of speaking, and so I found one mentor that said, if you want to overcome this fear, you got to go all in on it. you got to practice it every week until it's no longer a fear of yours. So I started to do that back in 2000, 2008, 2009. For, for a year, I joined Toastmasters because I knew that this fear would cripple me the rest of my life. If I could not stand in front of a group of five people and communicate a, a five-minute conversation, it would cripple me in any setting, career, boardroom, you know, families, whatever. Like if I was going to speak on stage, anything, it would cripple me. 
So I dedicated the year of my life. I found a coach every week that would work with me. And it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. It was, I was not good at all. It was really sad how bad I was. But after a year of doing it every week, I got a lot better. Now, I overcame the fear of public speaking. And then I would start to get paid a lot of money. Over, you know, over the, the, previous, the next seven to 10 years after that, I was speaking a lot on big stages. First a few hundred people, then 500, then thousand, then tens of thousands, right? And I was making 150 grand a speech, which kind of blows my mind if I think back to my 22-year-old self that was broke on my sister's couch with no money, that one day a kid who was afraid to speak in front of five people would be making 150,000 in an hour to give a speech. It blows my mind what human beings are capable of doing because I've seen it myself, belief that this was even possible. And one of the things, I was still nervous though I wasn't afraid to speak on stages, but before I would jump on stage after like five to seven years, Scott, I would still get nervous and insecure. And I remember calling my coach about 30 minutes before I had a big speech. And I go, why am I still insecure and nervous? I'm not afraid to get on stage. I know the mechanics. I can do it. But I still get a little nervous and like worried before every speech. Why? I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And I call him and he said, Lewis, you're still worried about what people think about you. You're still concerned about how you look, your self-image. You want to say the right joke. You want to make sure you remember everything. You want to do this, and you're worried about how people are going to perceive you, and that's why you're still nervous. If you shift your energy and attention to knowing you will never have a perfect speech, you will never be the best speaker uh, on any stage, but you can be the best you by serving the audience, by thinking about how can I give, how can I lead in service, knowing that I might forget something, and that's okay. Knowing that I'm not going to say the perfect thing every time, and that's okay. But if I put my attention on serving any person in there who needs to hear this and speaking into their heart, that's when you let go of the nerves and you really move beyond that. So I just wanted to share that story really quickly about because um, I think a lot of people are still insecure because they're worried about how they look. You've seen this. I've seen this. I've experienced this for a long time. And that's why we must shift our attention outward into service as opposed to selfishly, do I look good in front of others? You know, I appreciate that story on several fronts. 30 years of my life has been dedicated to the leadership business, spoken thousands of time around the world, five people, 8,000 people, once there was no one in the room, like there was no one there, but they wanted to tape it. So I gave like a 40 minute speech to the virtual audience. That was tough. But it's interesting, yeah, I that as I became an author and more in the public spotlight, I found myself feeling like I was getting the flu before I would go give a speech. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have the flu. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get sick. And I couldn't believe, how is it possible I'm getting the flu? But what I realized after a lot of reps, I still was getting nervous giving these people, I don't have the flu. I was just subconsciously nervous about all the things that you just said. I appreciate you sharing that story. Lewis, you've used the word self-doubt several times and it's kind of a bit of a core tenet in the book that all of us yeah. have some level of self-doubt as parents, as friends, as you know, partners, as leaders, as solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, you name the role, self-doubt plagues everyone. We may call it something different, we may acknowledge yeah. it, it differently. <clears throat> from your research, from your interviews, 
from your own self-discovery, what are some tips you might give our listeners and viewers like today, right now, to tackle mm -hmm. the self-doubt that they may feel is unique to them, that's cooking inside <clears throat> them? I want you to yeah. help tame it. I feel like, you know, sometimes the things I've learned would not have been the things that I would have listened to or tried in my 20s. In my 20s, I just wanted to learn from people that were like, here's how you make a million dollars. Here's how you make more money. Here's how you build your team. Here's how you generate more sales. Here's how you, you know, build your personal brand. I was more focused on the results and how to create something. And that's what I wanted to listen to. So I want to share something, but I don't know if anyone's going to be receptive to it, but this is what I needed to hear at those times. Um, that there are three main fears, three main causes of self-doubt, and that is the fear of failure, the fear of success, and the fear of judgment. And whenever I go into audiences and speak in big crowds, I'll ask people, have you ever been afraid of failure? Raise your hand if you've been afraid of failure. And a lot of the room tends to raise their hand. And it's one of the causes that holds them back from taking action. Again, whatever it is, going after the job opportunity they want, uh, asking the person out that they want to marry, uh, you know, asking for a raise, launching a book, whatever it is, their fear of failure holds them back and it causes them to stay stuck, stagnant, or in between. Um, so it's a big one. The second one is the fear of success. And so I'll ask people, raise your hand if you're afraid of success, the fear of success. And I'm almost shocked when I see this every time, Scott, that Almost the equal amount of people raise their hand as the fear of success. Now, for me, Scott, I grew up as an athlete. And in sports, you are taught to fail your way to success. You're not going to catch every ball. You're not going to make every shot. It's just information and feedback giving you the wisdom you need in order to get better. So I wasn't afraid of failure. And I wanted to accomplish success. So it didn't make sense to me why others were afraid of it. But... There is so much information out there about why the fear of success, so I understand it now. And as I started to make more money and build my platform, I started to realize, oh, it makes sense. Because once you become successful, there's a bigger weight. There's a bigger responsibility. You're leaving a certain community or tribe or family sometimes and going beyond what is familiar in your current tribe. Uh, people are starting to asking you for more things and asking you for money and asking for this. And you never know, do people really care about me for me or is it just because now I'm successful and have money or something else? So I understand the weight of gold. There's an amazing documentary called The Weight of Gold that is about Olympic gold medalists that commit suicide, go bankrupt, uh, overdose on drugs within a year after they win the gold medal, after they're at the top there's this crazy documentary that I recommend checking out. So now I understand the pressure of success. And it's hard to navigate because we've never been taught how to navigate these emotions and feelings and responsibility on our journey. So I get it. My fear was the third one, the fear of judgment. Other people's opinions of me. This crippled me for most of my life, Scott. I don't know if this was ever your fear. It sounds like maybe, you know, getting the flu before going on stage, there was a little bit of that, like making sure that you know, uh, you were accepted and people liked you and people didn't talk bad about you and things like that. That was, that was my biggest fear. It held me back. So I was driven to accomplish and I would be willing to fail over and over again to get there. But I was so concerned by the critiques and the critics and the judgment and the negative conversations and, and the opinions of others 
that it would cause me to second guess. It would cause me to abandon myself, my values, my vision, to please others, to make sure I needed to defend myself in every situation. And it caused a lot of inner suffering. At the core of failure, success, and judgment, Scott, is I am not enough. I'm not good enough, smart enough, talented enough, beautiful enough, worthy enough, whatever it is, the belief of I'm not enough. It's a belief that causes us to doubt ourselves. Hence, the greatness mindset, why it's so meaningful, it's to unlearn, heal certain beliefs, thoughts, memories, and create new meaning around those memories from whatever caused you to doubt yourself now, whatever caused you to say, I'm not enough now, for whatever reason, we need to retrain that into a different meaning. I love Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. I'm sure you've read it and talked about it a bunch as well. That, for me, is the ultimate leadership uh, mindset. It's creating different meaning from the most horrible, horrific challenges and adversities that you've ever faced in life. And it doesn't mean that you have to like the challenges that you've been through in the past. We've all had our own big traumas and little traumas and adversities. It doesn't mean you have to, to love them, but it does mean if you want to create peace, abundance, joy, and prosperity in your life, we must create meaning from these memories of our past that hold us back today. The things that keep us blocked, fearful, afraid, uh, questioning ourselves and doubting ourselves. Again, self-doubt is the killer of your dreams, of your joy, of your abundance, of your growth. So we must get to the heart of the doubt for you. And in the book, I break down the examples, I give you the exercises, I give you the reflection questions in order to figure that out for yourself so that you can start practicing and integrating the healing journey. Again, if you want to be a better leader, you've got to learn to overcome a lot of things for yourself. You've got to face yourself at all times. You've got to step into new ways of being in order to expand your team, you know, to expand your business. You've got to overcome fears and insecurities to develop new skill sets that maybe you weren't naturally born with. That's what leadership is all about. And it's about empowering others and understanding where each human being's energy is at. Not them meeting you where you're at, but you meeting them where they're out and being able to navigate emotions beautifully, masterfully, and also empower people in their process. That is servant leadership in my mind, and that's what the greatness mindset is all about. And that was a master class on how to be a human. Uh, nicely said, <laughs> sir. Nicely said. Uh, I'm a friend of Rachel Hollis and remain a supporter of Rachel. And I think of all the things that Rachel has taught me, this next phrase uh, uh, I think is the most profound. She says, amongst many things, most people don't feel fa fear failure. They fear having other people watch them fail. Yeah. And to, to what extent has that rung true for you? And before you answer, uh, I had someone looking at my roster of interviews coming up. We have some great guests, Tony Robbins and Brene Brown and David Goggins, and you're in great company. And someone saw your name on the roster, who I was extremely excited to interview this week. And they said, isn't that the guy that like, didn't do very well at football? Like the failed football player? And I said, you mean the guy that has the largest platform in the world? I, I, <laughs> I, I know you are evolved enough not to take that as a criticism. We all sure. have. Uh, to what extent was perhaps your failure in football because of your injury? To what extent uh -huh. was that a great gift that was given to you? As you talk about in sports, learning to fail your way to success. Well, I think, uh, you know, 
about four or five years ago, I don't know if I heard this for someone or if it just kind of came to me through multiple conversations, but someone was talking about, you know, isn't it beautiful that hindsight is 2020 and you needed to go through that experience and your father needed to go through his near death experience and you needed to be bank, you know, not bankrupt, but I, I just didn't have any money period ever. Uh, you needed to be pouring on your sister's couch. You needed to be in this injury and in this cast in order for you to get clear on your mission of wanting and having compassion for humanity and wanting to serve and wanting to create content around this, these topics. Isn't it interesting how all those painful things needed to happen for you specifically at those times in order for you to be here now? And I remember saying yes. And I was like, you know what? And I was kind of going through like a challenging time like five years ago after a breakup and just dealing with like, I don't know if you've ever been to a, through a breakup that wasn't like beautiful, peaceful, harmonious, where, you know, friends and family and people are just talking and you're just like, hear the gossip of like, he said, she said, all this different stuff. I was kind of going through this time and I was like, oh, this doesn't feel good. But I remember saying to myself, I just need to have future hindsight. I need mm, to step into the yeah, future well of my future self yeah. and have future hindsight and see that this is exactly designed for me and find meaning now. You know, I talk about going back in the past and creating the meaning when you have hindsight, but when we're in the pain now, we need to find the meaning of it now to get us through it uh, more effortlessly. And, and I said, I'm going to have future hindsight now. I'm going to see this is working in my favor. This is going to give me more compassion. This is going to bring me more humility. This is going to bring me more attention to detail. This is going to make sure that I'm, I'm healing more. I'm stepping into other areas. I'm giving more. I'm serving more. I'm not focused about me. It's a, it's a ego purging. You know, I'm letting go of an identity of needing to look good. All this different stuff or people questioning or judging me. It's, it's perfect for me. And so when I started to have hindsight now, as opposed to saying, ah, why are these people saying this? Why am I going through this? I just said, I don't like it. I don't need to enjoy it. But I know that there is a beautiful meaning behind it. And it's going to benefit me. And that helped me get through it easier. Lewis, I know our time is ending here. In your book, you have what you call the game plan for greatness, kind of seven steps towards creating greatness for yourself. Very quickly, they are in order. Number one, ask courageous questions. Two, give yourself permission. Three, accept the challenge. Four, define your greatness goals. Five, enlist support. Six, get stuff done. And seven, celebrate. I want to take a moment and have you riff on number one, this idea of ask courageous questions. You write... When you dare to ask yourself courageous questions, you begin to make the impossible possible. Mm -hmm. What does it really mean to ask yourself courageous questions on your way to creating greatness for yourself? There's two things I like to think about, urgency and overcoming the seeming impossible. You know, when my father got into his car accident when I was 21 years old, 22 years old, um, I realized like here's a healthy man who has worked hard his whole life. He's busted his butt, he's shown up, he's transformed. He wasn't a perfect human being, but he was on a vacation with his then you know new girlfriend. He and my mom had gotten divorced years prior to that. So he was on a vacation with his then girlfriend. And um, he was the happiest he had ever been after his kind of journey of transformation. And uh, in one moment, it all ended, everything. You know, his identity, his life it changed forever. 
And um, he wasn't able to work ever again. He passed away last year. So for 17 years, he lived in pain and suffering. He didn't have a purpose. He sat around and watched TV. He didn't care about his kids anymore. Not because he didn't want to, but the brain injury was so extreme that it just it damaged his memory. He, he lost his memory. He lost a lot of functionality from the brain trauma. And I lived in a, you know, I lived in a lot of sadness for many years because of the unfairness of what I witnessed. And I started to ask myself different questions, you know, and I started to live with, with urgency in my life. I started to pursue these things with urgency. And I started to say, if I had to do this in half the time, in a fraction of the time, what would I need to let go of? What would I need to overcome? Who would I need to step into? What would I need to attract? And I just started asking different questions, courageous questions. And a lot of it is getting out of your own way. So for me, I just wanted to live with, you know, urgency. And I think a lot of people, when I, when I coach people, they, they are afraid of their big goals and their big dreams, and they set them so far away. I'm going to hit seven figures in three years. Well, what if you had to do it in six months? Well, it's impossible. Well, okay, it's impossible if you say so. But if your life depended on it, if you had six months to live, and if you didn't hit that goal in six months, and you, had, you were going to die if that didn't happen. I know it sounds a little extreme, but if we just asked that type of question courageously and stepped into it, what would you need to let go of? What would you need to acquire? You know, how, what would you need to heal? What would you need to risk? A lot of people aren't willing to risk asking for things. They lack the art of enrollment because they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of the no. You know this from, you know, 20, 30 years of being a leader and being in sales and marketing that people are afraid of friends, family, strangers saying no to them. And that holds them back. So learning the art of rejection gracefully and being okay with who you are and your self-worth, even when someone says no to something, it doesn't mean they're saying no about your self-worth. And again, it goes back to the greatness mindset, understanding that you are enough even if people say no around you. And you just gotta keep reinventing and keep evolving into acquiring the skills to get people to say yes. And so living with urgency and asking questions that would make the impossible possible in a shorter amount of time. Lewis, as we end, I think I wanna share, I think what I like most about you, and I don't know you in a person, we met today for the first time, I've read your books, I've watched hundreds of episodes, you're in my social feed every three minutes on five platforms. I, I've watched your career really closely. You strike me as a really courageous person and a person who's very comfortable being vulnerable. Like I watched the video of you dancing off set with, who's the guy from Utah, the dancer? Um, the blonde guy. Um, um, yeah, Eric, Der Eric Huff. Derek Huff. Eric Huff. Huff. And I yeah. watched you doing this kind of like funky dance off camera, and I watched it three or four times, like, this is a football dude, and he's very comfortable, uh -huh. like, pretending to dance like the most famous dancer in the world, whose name I couldn't remember, and I've watched the social post about you, what I believe is your now girlfriend, um, in her own right, you know, living in the public eye and a quite accomplished woman, and I watched the tenderness with which you post questions and introspection about entering a relationship. You live a you live a public life, but you also live a life that is sort of mutually grounded in vulnerability and courage. And I think if someone gets to know you, that's a gift you give to people. Be more mm. courageous, 
move outside your comfort zone. Feel free having hundreds of millions of people watch you try to dance like Derek Huff. And uh, I'm guessing that wasn't always who you were. No, I mean, I wore, I wore a, project, a projection of wanting to look good and be right and, you know, make sure I was doing the right things for a long time. It was a false mask of confidence for a mm. long time until I hit about 30 when I started to unmask, when I started to realize that these ways of being was getting me external results, but it wasn't giving me internal peace. And so it wasn't until I started to unmask, when I started to talk about the things that I was most ashamed of privately and then eventually you know, publicly to, to be of impact to my audience. And I started to reveal who I really was, the things that I was most afraid of, that if people knew this about me, they, I thought they wouldn't accept me, like me, or love me. And I started to step into those things because I, I realized that these were the things that were holding me back. These shames, these insecurities, these were the things that were causing me to react and be triggered and frustrated in situations as opposed to be calm, loving, and led by my vision and my mission. And so it's been a 10-year journey of uncovering, of rediscovering, of remembering uh, who I truly am at my core, the leader I am that has a big heart, that's open-hearted, that's got childlike energy, that's joyful, that's playful, that's fun, as opposed to putting an image out there of who I thought people wanted me to be. Lewis, your book releases today, March 7th. It's called The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the power of your mind and live your best life today. I uh, can't recommend the book well enough or also, for that matter, your podcast. Tell us quickly what's next for you. I mean, your goal is to uh, impact 100 million lives a week, not too shabby. Uh, what's next for you, sir? What's next is what's now. And uh, I'm always trying to draw that vision closer to me. 100 million lives weekly, it's always trying to bring that closer to me. Mm and figuring out how can I serve people to reach those individuals on a consistent weekly basis. So it's constantly developing myself. It's leaning into more love, more joy, more personal freedom, so that I'm able to expand into that mission faster. Lewis Howes, you're a class act. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Kyle, appreciate it. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.